1 Corinthians 14, back in 1 Corinthians. Uh, for those of you uh, who remember, we were in 1 Corinthians basically all of last year on Sunday mornings, and uh, we're picking up this year on Sunday nights, and we'll go through the remainder of the book. As we remind ourselves a little bit about the Church of Corinth, the Church of Corinth was a church that had many advantages. Way back in chapter number 1, Paul said this of them beginning in verse number 4. He said, I thank my God always on behalf of you for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. He said that in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. Look at verse 7. So that ye come behind in no gift waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This truly was a gifted church. It was a prosperous church. It, it had a lot of advantages, but though this church had a lot of advantages, this church had a lot of ailments. It had a lot of things wrong with it. In chapter 3, Paul succinctly puts it this way. He said, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as spiritual, but as unto carnal, as unto babes in Christ. For I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet are ye now able. We're not going to go through it all, but this church had a lot of problems. They had a lot of things that they were dealing with that Paul had to address and set in order. And, and this is really our premise from last year. Since church matters, amen, we have to deal with matters within the church. So we're going to pick up tonight on 1 Corinthians 14. Now, 1 Corinthians 14 really falls under the section where Paul is dealing with the Corinthians and their use and abuse of spiritual gifts. And really, even this is found within the larger context of order in the church. What do we find in this section regarding spiritual gifts? Well, in chapter 12, we're taught that God organizes and orchestrates the body as He sees fit. That God has placed you in the body exactly where He wants you. And God has gifted you for the body exactly how you need to be. And so God has placed you and God has gifted you. He has ordered and orchestrated things as He sees fit. So there's no point in comparing what you have versus what I have. There's no point in coveting what you have. There's no point in that. Use what you got, amen? Use what you got where God puts you because that's exactly what God intended you to do. So chapter 12 is about God organizing and orchestrating the body. Chapter 13, though, reminds us that more importantly than what gifts you have is that you are using them in love. Use them in love. In fact, chapter 14 starts off, follow after charity. So now, though, in chapter 14... The stage is set for Paul to directly correct confusion that this church held in respect to the gift of tongues. Now, the gift of tongues is not something that a lot of believers know about. There's a couple of reasons for this. Number one, a lot of believers don't know a lot about tongues because they attend assemblies or churches where they really don't talk about tongues. I mean, that probably, by and large, could be the case here at Harvest. I don't know that I have preached a whole lot of messages on the spiritual gift of tongues before. I don't know in my whole tenure at Harvest, and I've been here since 2011, which in my brain doesn't seem that long ago, but when I look at it on a calendar, it is that long ago. I don't know that I've heard a whole lot of 
messages on tongues. So a lot of people don't know about tongues. Why? Because their church doesn't talk about tongues. So people don't know a lot about the gift of tongues because either their church doesn't talk about them or because they attend assemblies that don't talk about it biblically. And I would contend, and again, let me start off by saying my heart tonight, my goal tonight is not to offend you, is not to offend somebody who may disagree with me, but my heart and my goal tonight is to be very clear about what the Bible says. So I'm not going to be sarcastic, I'm not going to put people down, but I am going to be very clear with what the Bible says. And the fact of the matter is, people don't understand the spiritual gift of tongues because, number one, their church doesn't talk about it, or number two, their church doesn't talk about it biblically. And that would be 99.9% of churches who claim to exercise this gift. So I want to look, kind of begin to set the stage. It's going to take us a couple of weeks to get through this chapter, but that's okay, amen? And I want us to begin to see tonight the truth about tongues from God's word. Let me set tonight the stage, Roman numeral one, and this will kind of help us as we get into it. I think we need to start by understanding the cessation or the ceasing, the stopping of tongues. We're going to start right there. The cessation of tongues. Now, tongues were a legitimate spiritual gift in the early church. Please note the emphasis on the word were. They were a legitimate spiritual gift in the early church. Now, I firmly believe, and it is the position of this church, that the formal use of the gift of tongues has ceased and is no longer active today. You say, preacher, how do you know that? Well, let me give you a couple of things here. Number one, the passing or the ending of the gifts of tongues was foretold in Scripture. If you go back to 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse number 8, Paul wrote this. He said, charity never faileth. He said, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, prophetic knowledge, it shall vanish away. Verse number 9, he said, For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. And so we see in verse number 8, it specifically highlights tongues, that tongues shall cease. And in verse number 10, it kind of gives us the key, that when that which is perfect will come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Leave that verse up there, Liz, for me if you would. So let me break this down. Tongues were, it was, it was foretold that tongues would pass away. Tongues are a part of what we would call sign gifts. Now what are sign gifts? Sign gifts are, are tongues and other spiritual gifts like prophetic foretelling of the future and the gift of healing and the gift of miracles. These were the sign gifts. And what we find in the scripture is that as the New Testament had not been fully given, these sign gifts were very valuable because they validated the message of the apostles. These signs came along the apostles and validated that they were indeed giving, thus saith the Lord. But once the scriptures were completed, verse number 10, but when that which is perfect is come, 
and we do have God's completed word, amen? amen? Then that which is in part shall be done away. And so we see that with the completion of the Holy Scriptures, then the sign gifts were really no longer needed. And I'll talk a little bit about, more about this in a minute. But their passing was foretold. The Bible tells us that these sign gifts will cease. But why do I believe that tongues as a spiritual gift have ceased today? Not only because their passing was foretold, but also because their purpose has been fulfilled. And this is where most people just don't understand what the gift of tongues is all about. If you want to know what the gift of tongues is all about, 1 Corinthians 14, jump to verses 21 and 22. Paul tells us what this gift is all about. So go back to verse number 20, if you would. I'll read it. I don't know if they have it back there. Paul said, Brethren, be not children in understanding. Howbeit in malice or in evil be children, but in understanding be men. So Paul says, I need you to be grown up and understand some things. Look what he says in verse 21. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people. And yet for all that they will not hear me, saith the Lord. Verse 22. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign. Not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them that believe. So here we have the explicit purpose. Why did the Holy Spirit give the gift of tongues? And I find it interesting that Paul, to teach us about the gift of tongues, quotes the Old Testament to remind us that the purpose of the gift of tongues, it is not for your prayer closet. It is not for the church. Rather, it is a sign of judgment on unbelievers. Deuteronomy 28, verse 49. So Paul here is quoting the law. The Lord shall bring a nation against thee from afar, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flieth, a nation whose tongue thou shalt not understand. Isaiah the prophet speaking of judgment as well in Isaiah 28 and verse number 11. He said, for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. And so tongues were never for one's prayer closet. Tongues were never meant for a church service. Rather, tongues were a sign of judgment. Specifically, to bring out the Old Testament reference... Tongues were a sign of judgment specifically on unbelieving Israel. They were a sign of judgment on unbelieving Israel. Acts chapter 2, the first place we see tongues in the New Testament. It happens in Jerusalem. It accompanies the message of you crucified Jesus, but God has raised him again and you better repent. And the gift of tongues, the sign of tongues, was a validation of that message. We see it in Acts chapter 10 when the gospel went to the Gentiles. We see it in Acts chapter 19. In all of these instances, you look it up, what you'll find is it all centers around as a sign to the unbelieving Jews that Israel faces judgment. 
Israel faced spiritual judgment in the fact that God was setting aside Israel for a time to work through the church. But Israel also was facing physical judgment. And Israel's physical judgment was experienced at the destruction of Jerusalem that would come in A.D. 70. And so the sign of tongues as a sign of judgment, specifically the scripture says on unbelieving Israel, that purpose has been fulfilled. Hence another reason that I believe that tongues have ceased. Their purpose has been fulfilled. By the way, this line of thinking that these sign gifts have ceased is not new to me today. You can go back to some of the early church fathers. Origen is one. He was in the late 100s, early 200s. And he made this statement. Moreover, the Holy Spirit gave signs at the beginning of Christ's ministry. And after his ascension, gave still more. But by this time, these signs have diminished. There are many uh, records of church fathers and writers by the, as early as the third, by, by the early third century who all recognize that these gifts are no longer in operation. Consider the sign gifts with me. You even look at Paul's instructions to Timothy late in his ministry. Timmy had some tummy trouble, didn't he? He had some infirmities, some sickness, some weakness. I find it very interesting that Paul... Who, who had gifts of tongues and healings and all these sign gifts, he didn't heal Timothy. He told him to take some medicine. And so what do we see? We see even by the late ministry of the apostles, many of these sign gifts had begun to be phased out. Why? Their purpose had been fulfilled. That which is perfect had come. And specifically regarding tongues, unbelieving Israel had been warned and judged. And so again, I'd like to state on, on, on these two things as well as other things we can talk about some other time. I firmly believe, and it is the public position of this church, that the sign gifts, including tongues, have ceased. Now, let me make a statement here. This does not mean that God cannot choose to intervene miraculously whenever and wherever He wants. He is God. We are not. Amen? However, it does mean that these sign gifts, it does mean that tongues are no longer the normal operating procedure for Christians today. And so number one, as we get started setting the stage for Paul to deal with tongues, we have to understand the cessation of tongues. Tongues and sign gifts have ceased. Now, let's jump in a little bit. Let's read verses 1 and 2, and then I want to talk about number 2, the confusion about tongues. Paul wrote, follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy, foretell or proclaim God's truth. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. So let's talk here about the confusion around tongues. It would be helpful for us, I think, to establish a definition for what the spiritual gift of tongues was. Let's define our terms. Biblically, the gift of tongues is the supernatural ability 
to speak a foreign language that is unknown to you. The gift of tongues is the supernatural ability to speak in a foreign language that is unknown to you. We see this demonstrated the first time tongues come to bear in Acts chapter 2. Look what happens beginning in verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 5. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because they heard every, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? How hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? That word in verse number 8, that word tongue there, is the Greek word uh, for dialect. These are real languages. If you look at the Old Testament context that we saw in Deuteronomy, it was obviously foretold that they would be real languages, real languages from earth. When we look at the New Testament examples, what do we find? Though the New Testament also, their examples demonstrate real earth languages. In fact, 1 Corinthians 14 and verse number 10, we just read it earlier, what did Paul say? He said, there are, and it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. So in other words, what we are dealing with is voices, languages, dialects that belong to the world. These are real languages that the Holy Spirit of God miraculously allowed these men to speak. So the gift of tongues was when the Holy Spirit allowed men to speak real languages that they didn't otherwise know. By the way, this is Bible. This is biblically what is played out when you look at the gift of tongues in Scripture. These are real languages. You will not find a place in the Bible where the gift of tongues is described otherwise. These are real languages. Now, here's the confusion around tongues because this, this description, verse number 10, many kinds of voices in the world. Acts chapter 2, we heard them all in our own tongues. This is very different from what Charismatics and Pentecostals and other groups call tongues today. Charismatics, Pentecostals, and other denominations teach that tongues in the Bible or the spiritual gift of tongues for today is something, something called, now let me see if I can get it out without stammering here, glossolalia. Nice technical term if you want to jot that down. G-L-O-S-S-O-L-A-L-I-A. Glossolalia. And glossolalia is simply a fancy term. It is a phenomenon of ecstatic or excited utterances of sounds and, 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 and gibberish, so to speak, not legitimate languages. So what they teach 
is that such ecstatic utterance, such ecstatic or excited gibberish, is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit being poured out on them and speaking through them. Now, sometimes they'll latch on to a couple of verses to try to demonstrate this. Let me give you one, and then we'll talk about it, and then we'll give you another one. So sometimes they'll go to 1 Corinthians 13, and they'll talk about, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. Aha! You see? Paul references that we can speak in angelic or heavenly languages. Well, if you actually read 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, you know what you'll find? You will find that Paul is speaking in hyperbole. In other words, he is using grand exaggerations. Things that nobody would take as realistic, but he's saying that even if these things are true, boy, without love, they're nothing. So we see these exaggerations in chapter 13. Speaking with the tongues of men and of angels. Understanding all mysteries and all knowledge. Having all faith. Removing mountains. Giving all goods to feed the poor. Offering my body to be burned. These are hyperbole. Paul is speaking an exaggeration to get the point across. You could have the greatest, grandest spiritual gifts. You could have the deepest, most complete knowledge. You could have the most generosity possible. But if you had it without love, it is empty, it is nothing, it is bankrupt. And so you cannot point to 1 Corinthians 13 that you can speak in heavenly or angelic languages. Because that is not what Paul is teaching here. He is using hyperbole to make a point. Sometimes uh, people will point to 1 Corinthians 14, 2. One of the verses that we read. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. By the way, if you cut that verse out of context, you can make that verse say a lot of things, can't you? But when you put it back in context, which by the way, you should always study the Bible in context. When you put it back in context, guess what? It teaches something totally different. You look at verse 14, uh, chapter 14, verse 1. What does Paul say at the end? But rather that ye may prophesy. So Paul is already putting an emphasis on prophecy. And what we're going to find here in a minute is Paul is beginning a grand comparison of speaking in tongues and simply getting up open in the Bible and preaching the word. And so Paul in verse number 2 is not saying, well, no, tongues is just meant to be a, a man's language with God and God understands them in great mysteries. No, the whole point of that is, guess what? If you speak in an unknown tongue, you're not speaking to the rest of us because none of us will have a clue what you're saying. Oh, ultimately, God will understand you, but what good does it do? I mean, even if you were saying the bestest things ever... It doesn't matter because nobody gets anything out of it. And so Paul here is not telling us to talk unto God and speak great mysteries in the spirit. No, he's saying that even if you're doing that, what does it profit? It profits nothing. And so verses like 1 Corinthians 14.2 cannot be ripped out of context. As you look at the scripture... 
and you compare Scripture with Scripture, it is clear from the Old Testament, from the book of Acts, and the New Testament epistles, tongues are real earthly languages and dialects. They are not heavenly gibberish. Now I'm going to tell you there's a danger here. And I want to speak this in love, and and I'm not accusing anybody of anything, but I want to relay some facts tonight. That this, this, this modern tongues movement, the glossolalia, the phenomenon of ecstatic or excited utterances, and, and oftentimes there is a trance-like state that will accompany this. The danger here in the ecstatic utterances and the trance-like state, I'm going to tell you this, this movement, this action does not find its roots in Christianity. It does not even find its roots in Judaism. It doesn't find its roots in Scripture at all. But rather the idea of ecstatic utterances and trance-like states find their roots in heathen mysticism and demon worship. The first recorded occurrence that we can find in history occurred about 1100 B.C. An individual recorded in history by the name of Winamom And he was a worshiper of the Egyptian god Ammon. In the 500s BC, Plato, the philosopher, wrote of men who would go into these trances and and lose all control over their mental faculties. Virgil, around the time of Christ, wrote about pagan priestesses who would go into ecstatic trances claiming to be unified with the god Apollo. By the way, there are even reports of this kind of thing uh, still happening today among Eastern religions in Japan, the Buddhist monks of uh, Tibet, and many, many other places. And so the roots of these ecstatic utterances do not find them, you don't find the roots for that in this book. You find the roots for that in heathen mysticism and demon worship. So at best, and here's the danger, at best, the modern tongues movement is manufactured. And I know that sounds maybe harsh, but it's true. It is portrayed as a spontaneous move of the Spirit, but the reality is, I've been in some of these churches, they teach classes on how to do this. And so why do my little kids need to go to a class to learn how to speak in tongues if it happens spontaneously when the Spirit comes? It has been proven by many different scientific studies into this phenomenon, both within the charismatic movements as well as the pagan heathen movements. It has been proven that that what what they call this, this ecstatic speech and trance, that this is actually something you can train your brain to do, just like playing the piano. And so at best, it's manufactured. At worst, it is demonic. But confusion in any form is dangerous. The Bible is very clear on what the gift of tongues were. It was 
the Holy Spirit allowing men to speak in real language, languages that they did not formally know. By the way, isn't it amazing that even when God was issuing a warning of judgment, that's, what, that's a sign of judgment, that's what tongues were. Isn't it amazing that even when God was issuing a sign of judgment, that he did so in such a way at Pentecost that thousands got saved? Isn't that our merciful God for you? But confusion is dangerous. And so as we look at this, church, you have to look at the entirety of Scripture. You cannot pull a verse out of context to build your definition. So we've seen first the cessation of tongues. I do believe that tongues have ceased in their normal operation in the church. They are a sign gift that faded away when that which was perfect came. We see the confusion around tongues. Church, be clear on what it is. The gift of tongues was the supernatural ability to speak in a foreign language that was unknown to you. That's what tongues were. Real dialects and languages. Not ecstatic, trance-like utterances. And so we come to the Scripture. And briefly tonight, we'll get into this, maybe cover the first 10 or 11 verses I want us to see the comparison of tongues. Paul is going to open this chapter, as I already stated, by making a comparison between prophecy, uh, the gift of uh, proclaiming God's word, and tongues, uh, speaking in an unknown language. So, first of all, as we look at the comparison that Paul makes, we have to first address, as Paul does, the question of profitability. Look with me. We're going to read verses 2 through 6 and then jump down to verse 9. Well, we'll go back to verse 1. Paul said this, Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. So right out of the gate, Paul tells us where the emphasis needs to be. He says, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue... Speaketh not unto men, but unto God, for no man understandeth him. Howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men, to edification, to exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue, well, he edifieth himself. But he that prophesieth edifieth the church. He said, I would that ye all spake with tongues. Look, tongues was a legitimate spiritual gift. So fine, everybody can do it. But Paul says, but rather that ye prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh in tongues. Except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall it profit you? Nothing. Except I shall speak unto you by rather revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine. Jump down to verse number 9. So likewise ye, except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. So what we clearly see, the question of profitability, prophecy is more profitable than tongues. Hermano, ¿qué pasó? 
¿Qué pasó, hermano? ¿Qué pasó, hermano? Así, Narmuche, ¿y usted? Resulta muy bien, entonces, ¿cómo está? Así, eh, bien, bien. Sí. Uh, te, te, ¿Te gustan uh, los salmos? Si te gustan los salmos, me gusta el Salmo 23. Jehová es mi pastor. No me faltará. Es versículo bueno. Es mi favorita. ¿Y usted? Los otros también. Estamos bien. Entonces, te lo bendiga. ¿Qué? Otra palabra. ¿Se entiende? Estamos hablando de la misma cosa ¿Se entiende, señor? Está hablando de la misma cosa está hablando, Daniel. No me entiendo. Si tú lo bendigas, entonces. ¿Qué es esto? Eso no lo puede otra lengua, otra lengua, palabra. No me entiendo. No entiendo tampoco. Yo tampoco no puedo. Entiendo entonces tampoco. Hermano, oye, no, no sabemos entonces. Lo malo que sabes, yo sí te lo bendiga. Me gusta el café. Entonces, dale gracias. En la mañana. En la mañana. Sí, café negro. Entonces, cosito. Sí. Bendiga. How'd that go, guys? Amen. Exactly. What was that? That made no sense. That's the whole point of what Paul was saying here. When someone speaks in an unknown tongue, the body of Christ is not helped. The body of Christ is not edified. Verse number two basically says, who cares if you're speaking great mysteries because nobody understands. Verse four says, yeah, you might get something out of it, but the whole rest of the church, boy, they don't get nothing. They are not edified at all. Verse number nine, I love verse number nine. He says, so likewise, except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. You may as well go to a cliffside and yell into open space because it don't make no difference. Nobody is going to get anything out. It's useless. It is useless. And verse number 11, boy, If I don't know what you're speaking, I'm a barbarian to you and you're a barbarian to me. Boy, it seems to create division in the body, doesn't it? You see, when somebody speaks in an unknown tongue, the body of Christ is not helped or edified. Remember, tongues were not meant to edify the body of Christ. What were tongues meant to do? They were meant to be a sign of judgment to unbelievers unquestionably, as you look at 1 Corinthians 14, prophecy, the proclaiming of God's word is more profitable. Look at verses 3 and 4. Proclaiming God's word is the path to edification. It is the path to correction. It is the path to comfort. Look at verse 6. The, the proclaiming of God's word is the means of growth and of understanding, revelation and knowledge and doctrine. Using words plainly understood. When it comes to the question of profitability, unquestionably, prophecy is more profitable than tongues. Boy, that also ought to give you some red flags about how tongues are supposedly used today. 
But not only in this passage do we see the question of profitability in comparison, but we also see the question of significance or clarity. Look with me at verse 7 through 9. And even things without life giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to battle? So likewise ye, except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. Paul here uses the illustration of what? Musical instruments. Musical instruments, and they need to be clear. In verses 8 and 9 specifically, we see the illustration of the trumpet at wartime. You know, in wartime, the sound of the trumpet needed to be clear. It had to be clear because it signified everything. It signified when to get up in the morning. It signified when the enemy was approaching. It signified when to hold the line, when to charge. It signified when to retreat. And it even signified the end of day when it was time to go lay down and go to sleep. The sound of the trumpet signified everything. And I'm going to tell you, there is massive, massive significance here. What if the trumpeter gave an uncertain sound? And half the men thought, it's time to charge. And the other half thought, boy, it's time to retreat. What would happen? Death and destruction. What if the trumpeter played an uncertain sound and, and part of the men thought, I'm going to hold the line. And the other part of the men thought, well, I'm going to retreat. You see, when the message isn't clear, the result is disaster. The trumpet had an important job. The trumpet had an important message to convey. But, 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 as important as the trumpet's message was, the church's message is more important. You see, the church's message isn't about wartime or charging or retreating. The church's message is the difference between heaven and hell. We've been given the message, Acts 14, 12. The Bible says this, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. The mission of the church is of massive eternal significance. And so the mission and the message of the church cannot be lost in confusion. It doesn't do me any good to have the gift of tongues to to evangelize in Clyde, Ohio, in Russian or in Spanish or in Chinese. Because basically everybody around me speaks English. And so for me to get up here and talk different languages, it would muddle and miss the message of Christ. The question of significance of being his witnesses, clearly proclaiming God's word is what is required. Clearly proclaiming God's word. That is prophesying, not tongues. Again, Paul does not dismiss tongues or call them illegitimate. They were still in operation in this day and age that Paul was writing. He simply points out that their use in the Corinthian church was inappropriate at best. You jump down to verse number 19, Paul had this to say. He said, yet in the church I had rather speak five words with my understanding, that is by my voice, that I might teach others also, than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. 
He simply points out that their use, their emphasis on tongues was inappropriate at best. What needed to be the emphasis of the church at Corinth in plain, unconfusing, for us English, thus saith the Lord. What needs to be the emphasis of Harvest Baptist? Thus saith the Lord. The Lord. And so we kind of get started tonight. The truth about tongues. I do believe, firmly so, that the gift of tongues has ceased in this day and age. We need to know that. This doesn't prohibit God from working however God may see fit. But the gift of tongues has no place in the normal operation of the church, has no place in the normal life of the Christian. They have ceased. As we consider the truth about tongues tonight, we're reminded, do not be misled by the modern confusion of the charismatic and Pentecostal movements. Tongues are not ecstatic utterances. They are not heavenly languages. They are real earthly languages that the Holy Spirit enabled men to speak. And a reminder tonight, what the world needs and what the church needs is not something new. Is not something sensational. Is not heavenly utterances or babblings. No, but what the church and the world both need is for men and women as clearly and as steadfastly as possible to live this book and to proclaim this book till Jesus comes.